So we're reading Genesis chapters 39 and 40. And I, sorry, I might just say before I start reading them, this is about a man named Joseph. So if you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, faith, all that sort of stuff, we're in the beginning of the Bible, first book called Genesis. We're reading about a man named Joseph. Up to this point in this story, he was quite mistreated, uh, sold as a slave by his brothers into a place called Egypt where he's now working as a slave uh, at a man named Potiphar's house. So that's just a bit of context, a bit of background. Um, that's Joseph, a slave working in a man named Potiphar's house. Mistreated, a great victim of great injustice, great oppression, great unfairness. That's the man, Joseph. All right, Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that, all, uh, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and he was handsome. And after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Bit of a strong approach, don't you think? But that's Potiphar's wife. He refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak uh, whoops, sorry, lost my spot. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home and then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me but as soon as I screamed for help he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him saying this is how your slave treated me he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. 
He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Chapter 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. So we're now talking about the king of Egypt, not Potiphar. This is the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, right? Pharaoh was angry with these two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the custody, in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream. The same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favourable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all these officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Well done. Two chapters. Here's my question for you this morning. How do you deal with disappointments in your life? 
How do you deal with disappointments in your life? Now, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the barista not making your coffee right and that disappointment, although that, that is a major disappointment to some. But, but you know, I'm talking about big disappointments. We're, we're swimming deep water here. How, how do you deal with major disappointments in your life? The Harvard Business Review would tell us that major disappointments are often defining moments in people's lives. I don't think we need Harvard to tell us that. I think we know from just thinking for longer than a minute perhaps that it is exactly true. Major disappointments, the stuff that go wrong in your life and in my life, in your family's life and in my family's life, those things are major major defining moments in our lives. Hence, that is a pretty important question. How do you deal with disappointments in your life? I read these two long chapters in Genesis because I think if you read them together and you read them as one, you can learn, I can learn, we can learn a few things from, from Joseph about disappointments. There's disappointment after disappointment after disappointment in these chapters and, and, and he has to respond to them one after the other and, and I want to show us three things. Three things we can learn from responding to disappointments, to your disappointments in these chapters. Alright, number one. Here it is. Doing the right thing as a child of God as a believer of God, will not spare you major disappointments in life. In fact, it may even lead you to some of these disappointments. I'll say that again. Doing the right thing, being the good guy, the good girl, the upstanding person, taking the high road, Doing the right thing, what is right and just, will not spare you major, major disappointments in life if you do so as a child of God. That's what we see in Joseph's life, right? How, how outstanding was his conduct with, with Pharaoh's wife? Um, yeah, can we flick to the next slide? Thanks, guys. Just to refresh that bit of scripture. When Pharaoh's wife comes on to him, this... He was a 17-year-old kid by at that stage, by the way, being this enslaved 17-year-old. It's, it's atrocious stuff about human trafficking and all these themes and stuff that comes up in the story of Joseph. But he's a 17-year-old kid. He's facing these onslaughts of this woman who we can safely assume was, was extraordinarily beautiful, right? And she wants him. And as a 17-year-old kid who is a child of God, he, his behavior, his example for doing the right thing is absolutely exemplary. He, he completely resists. He stands up and he, he's, his motives for that is, God, how can I do such a wicked thing? How can I sleep with you when I've been shown such favor, such uh, grace and, and kind-heartedness by my master, by Potiphar, right? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph... Day after day, 
he does the right thing. Not just once, not just twice. Day after day after day after day, Joseph does the right thing. And what does it get him? Gets him verse 20. His master took him, put him in prison. The place where all the king's prisoners were confined. That's what you get for doing the right thing, Joseph. Day after day after day after day. Has this happened to you? Have you faced major disappointments for doing the right thing? I can share a, an example from our lives. It's, it's, it's a bit trite, but it, it might fit. Um, it's a COVID-related example. Uh, we as a family, uh, all our families in Brisbane, that's where we're from, and we've lived in Tassie for about three years now and um, you know, this year we, like many other, hundreds of other families in our country, were, were just not able to see our family. We're, we're, we're prevented. We can't travel. Um, we've had a little uh, baby born at the end of last year. She's getting to 12 months and you know, no one knows what she looks like. Well, apart from WhatsApp photos and all the, all the cranky cry faces and all the stuff you can send. But, you know, I, I'll confess to you that there are some times in my own thinking and prayers where I, I thought to God, you know what, we were doing the right thing here, God, when we decided to move to Tassie and come and minister down here. Um, but part of the bargain for us was, you know, we wanted to travel regularly in this global world in which we live and still maintain meaningful relations and connections with our family. What are you doing? <laughs> right? We, we, we're doing a good thing here. We're trying to do the right thing and then you let a global pandemic loose that's now preventing us from seeing our family. Uh, it's, it's not, it doesn't fit Joseph's circumstances. Don't get me wrong. It's a trite example. Very trite example. But I think it plays out that way in our lives. Doing a good thing, doing the right thing, doesn't spare us from hardships or difficulties, does it? I can think of far more serious examples than this. Lord, I did the right thing in my marriage. Why did it fall apart? Why did he leave? Lord, I did the right thing with my child. Why is she choosing the wrong path in life? Lord, I did the right thing with my money. Why did we lose it all? Lord, I lived a healthy, godly and responsible life. Why? Why am I afflicted with cancer? Lord, I did not sleep with her, Joseph says. Why am I in jail? Why am I the one in the dungeon? Judge, strangely, the answer to that is it's to bring about blessing. It's to bring about God's blessing. The whole purpose of the series of Joseph, and, and sorry, I'm, I'm doing you this service, I'm letting you jump in the middle of, the, of this series. I've done this with Pathway over the last two weeks, but the whole purpose of the series of Joseph is, is for God to bless his people, right? It's, it's for God to bless his people, really in faithfulness to Abraham, from whom we will get Jesus, as, as Jeff says to us, from whom all of Joseph's family will be delivered from a, famil, a famine, it's in the land, it's a lot of context stuff, 
Sorry for the confusion, but trust me, the reason all of this happens to Joseph is so that God can bless him and his people. And I firmly believe the reason your disappointments happen to you somehow, deeply buried in the mystery of it all, it is to bless you. It is to bless you. Right? God's way of bringing about blessing in your life will not spare you from major disappointments. That's the first point. And it neatly leads me to the second point. How do you respond to disappointment? I'll get back to the question. How do you respond to major disappointments in your life? See, here's how Joseph could have responded to Potiphar's wife, right? My brothers hate me. My childhood was messed up. I was sold as a slave. My future is really ruined. I'm away from home and I'll never go back. This woman, woman, Potiphar's wife, wants me, unlike everyone else in my life. Surely I deserve her. I deserve this chance. I have to make my, my way in this new world and, and maybe, maybe, you know, following through on this relationship with this woman will help me. You know, my, my dad was a pretty unfaithful guy who slept with a lot of women anyway, if you follow Jacob's story. These are all things that Joseph rightly at a street level could have, could have thought to himself. Joseph, as one commentator says, had every reason to be angry, to be bitter, to be resentful, cynical, fearful, self-serving and self-pitying. He had every reason to act out. He had every reason to follow Timon's advice in The Lion King. You know, the world's turned its back on you. You turn your back on the world. No one probably had more reason than Joseph to just turn his back on the world. And, and, and the question again, back to us, do you feel like that? Do you feel sometimes that you deserve to be angry, resentful, bitter. Church, please listen to me. You're confronted with a choice. Your life can either go the way of bitterness, resentment, cynicism, or it can go the Joseph way, a different way. What did Joseph do? Let's, let's look at him. He, he somehow avoids every one of the pitfalls of resentment, of bitterness, of self-pity. He goes to prison. He faces that disappointment. And in that prison, he lives a life of which we read. If we can flick up just verses 22 to 23, um, for us again, guys, or not again, just the next slide I will do. No, one back. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's all right. Do we have 39 verses 22 to 23 up there? I can't remember what. Yeah, thanks, guys. Here's what happens with Joseph. In prison. He responds to his disappointment so well 
that the warden puts him in charge of all those he held in prison. He paid no no attention to Joseph. He put everything under his care. Pretty quickly, Joseph rises again. He's, He's at the top of the prison pecking order. Think Andy Dufresne, you know, everyone respects him, everyone likes him. He, he's just, again, well-loved, successful, effective. And you think, great, Joseph has recovered from this disappointment of Potiphar's wife. He wasn't bitter, he wasn't cynical. He's positive, he's serving, he rises to the top. Surely now things are going to come through for him. But then what? <laughs> no. After he successfully interprets the dream... Uh, of the cupbearer and the baker, we read in verses 40, verses 12 to 15, Joseph says to the, to the cupbearer, when all goes well with you and you're back in, in Pharaoh's kingdom, in his palace, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Get me out of here. Surely, in Joseph's mind, he thinks things are going to go better. I'll be, I'll be out of this mess, Right? Except for one thing. We read the sad verse in Genesis 40, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. (laughs) He thinks, surely this time Joseph's going to become bitter. He's going to become so despondent. He's going to become so angry with God. He's going to become so resentful. He's going to act out. He's going to turn his back on the world now after this disappointment. And he doesn't. Again, we read that he faithfully, and this is now going on in the story, sticks to God, sticks to his integrity, sticks to his sense of, um, of being a grace-filled person of integrity. And eventually, if you know the story of Joseph, where does he end up? He ends up in this incredible, powerful place in Genesis chapter 45 where he is the deliverer of his entire family who sold him into slavery. He's reunited with Jacob, his father, his brothers, and all of Egypt really is saved from this incredible famine as he serves in Pharaoh's household. So here's the thing. I wanted you to do these three or two chapters because I wanted you to see all the disappointments. Here's what, here's what happens. You live your life here, you face a disappointment, and you get bitter and angry and selfish your life takes a plunge. And you know what? It's just going to go downwards until there's the next disappointment. And it goes lower. And you're even more bitter and more cynical and more resentful. And then there's another disappointment. And it makes you even more bitter and more resentful until eventually life becomes so dark, so disappointing, so depressing that who knows where we end up. And yet, Joseph shows us He lives life, imagine this little diagram and disappointment strikes, he gets sold into slavery and he makes a choice. He says, no, I'm going to respond positively to this. I'm going to trust God that there's blessing in this. There's purpose in this. There's hope in this. And his life goes up. He rises up in Potiphar's house and then disappointment strikes again. He goes to jail and again he makes a choice. He says, no, I'm going to trust God. I believe that this is, there's blessing in this and he rises up in jail again to the top. Disappointment strikes again. The cup, cup bearer doesn't remember him. 
He's stuck in jail for a further, I don't know how many more years, but I'm going to trust God. I know that God knows what he's doing. And he rises again. Eventually, through all these responses to disappointment, Joseph ends up, in the end of the story, as second in charge of all of Egypt. You see how those responses at each point in the line is a step towards God's ultimate purpose of the fulfillment of Joseph's life and of history. And do you know what? Your brother, dear sister, it's the same with you. These disappointments that come your way in life, they're not meant to get you down into the dark pit of despair and depression. They're there to take you to the top. They're there to bring you to the ultimate place where God's going to fulfill what he has in mind for your life. And I know it doesn't seem good along the way. I know it doesn't feel good along the way. And yet, Joseph's story and every child of God's story echoes this. God has a purpose and a plan and a blessing for all of it. And so here's the question then. If that's the case, if, if, if how we respond to our disappointments will determine whether we will enter the blessing of God for our lives and his purposes, how will you respond to your disappointments? Will you respond with resentment, with anger, with bitterness, with rejection of those who harmed you, those who mistreated you, those who afflicted you? Or will you trust that somehow in the mystery, this is part of God's sovereign purposes? He sees what I cannot. He knows what I do not. And somehow this is going to work for my good and for the blessing of those around me. That's the second point, and let me now get to the last I hear you say to me, <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. I do not know if I can do the Joseph thing. You might even say to me, you know, man, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know what was done to me. You don't know the mistreatment that I've faced. You don't know anything about my life. I don't know if I can... If I can overcome the size of the affliction and the mistreatment and the injustice that was committed by others towards me. And here's what I want to respond with. Two things. Firstly, you're right. I know nothing of your despair or your afflictions or the mistreatment that you've faced. But I plead with you, brother and sister, don't look at me. Look at Joseph. Here is a person who God introduces us to who, who does know something about suffering and afflictions and doing it tough. And more than Joseph, look at the one, I don't have time to really weave all those threads, but look at the one to whom Joseph points us. Look to Jesus. He knows your suffering. He knows your affliction. He knows your mistreatment. He knows your disappointments way better than I do. Look at him. So first of all, please, that's where I want to channel your, channel your attention and your focus in the first place. And in the second place, I want to say this. You're right in saying that you cannot get to the top or into the place of blessing and purposes for your life 
on your own. On your own. <laughs> you can't. It's not in our human nature to, to do that, to respond to disappointments and, and affliction and, and suffering like, like Joseph did. It, it, we don't possess that ability, but here's the key, here's the trick. Did you pick that up in this story? I think Melinda brought it out, and I'll bring it out now as well as, as a finish. Genesis chapter 39 starts with something very important, and then it finishes, and it's like bookends of the chapter. And writers did that in the Bible. If they wanted to say something is really important, they'll say it at the beginning and they'll say it at the end. And they'll say, look, everything else, the success of it boils down to these two things. Here's what we read in Genesis chapter 39, verses 2 and 3. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. And then right in the end, verse 21, we read, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. You know, no matter what your disappointments in life is, you can get to the place of blessing and purpose because God is with you. When Jesus was born, what's the name that we had to give him? Emmanuel. <laughs> he will be God with you. So yes, your life can and will serve the purposes of God because God, friend, is with you. So there are some of you here today who perhaps are alone in, in the prison, in the dungeon, in the dark place and, and God is not with you but you've never asked him to be. He's there. He's standing Wanting, waiting, ready for you to say, I want you to be with me. I want to know your nearness. I want to know your fullness. I want to know that you are, yes, in fact, with me. And I will be okay because you are with me. Will you pray today that he will enter your heart? That you will encounter and experience his being with you. I promise you that will make all the difference between whether your disappointment is going to lead you downwards or upwards away from what God has in mind with your life or towards what God has in mind with your life, right? There are some of you perhaps who are in the dark place. You've known that God was with you in the past, but you know perhaps the weariness of life has sort of drained that out a bit. You've forgotten. Can I ask you to do the same thing? Lord, just remind me again of your nearness, that you are with me. <laughs> Let me be like Joseph with disappointment through the reminding that you're with me. I'm not alone. I can respond the way that you call me to because you are with me. So let me finish then by asking the same question at the beginning. How will you respond to your disappointments? Will you believe that they are somehow supposed to bring blessing? And will you open yourself up to the Holy Spirit's reminding and empowering knowledge that God is with you? And yes, you too can get to the top. Trust Jesus. He knows what he's doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your promise is to bless us, not to harm us. And yet we know 
Well, sometimes we, f we fail to know, we fail to remember that the way that you move us towards your purposes for us involves great disappointments. I pray for those here this morning who are sitting in, in, the, in the dark and despairing place of wondering whether you're with them. Lord, seriously tempted to, to bitterness, to anger, to hatred, to acting out. Lord, I pray against that. I pray that in your sovereign grace and mercy you will work in all of our hearts, particularly for those who are uh, very much caught today in that place, and that you would turn us. You turn us to the place of faith, to trust that this thing indeed forms part of our blessing somehow. Make us patient. Make us strong in belief. And Lord, in your good time, let it become evident to us and those around us how you seek to bless us in that disappointment. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.